once people have seen you on TV, they think you're legit and therefore they're more likely to sign up to you. Don't talk about us, don't talk about finance, we don't want to hear anything about that. What we want to talk about is what's the most amazing thing that's happened in your business? So I think the opportunity for change that this pandemic has given us is hugely exciting. Hello, and welcome to the Noble Marketing Ideacast. I'm Becky Holland. In this podcast, we'll take a fresh look at the real issues for marketers today, right here and now in 2020. In the face of COVID-19 and Brexit, the US-China trade war, the US election, the rise of e-commerce, and everything else that's happening in the world of business right now. We wanted to take a fresh look at how marketers can not just survive, but thrive in this era of accelerating change and how the best marketing agencies and partners can support marketeers through that change. In this episode, we'll talk to three marketing leaders in the world of fintech to understand how they've adapted to the shifting tides, the changes they've had to make to their media and messaging strategies, as well as their thoughts for the future. For me, fintech is literally the most exciting sector to be involved in right now. Democratising access to finance has never been more possible. The top fintech brands globally, they haven't achieved success by developing brilliant products and just waiting for clients to come to them. Marketing in this world is tough. I mean, it's really tough. And getting market share is even harder. Time for me to introduce my first guest. Hi, I'm Jasper Martens. Uh, I am the CMO at PensionB. Uh, PensionB is UK's most loved pension provider, and we help you to combine your pensions from your previous jobs all in one new online plan that you can manage on your phone or any device you like. At Pension B, I am working with our marketeers and product specialists to build, um, I would say, a very 21st uh, century uh, pension product. But what is a fintech, really? Last week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Zeta McMillan, CEO and founder of Predictive Black, and I'm going to unashamedly steal her definition. A fintech brand is a financial services brand that relies specifically on the technology in order to exist. Now, clearly there's a fine line here, but the upshot is that if you're a financial services provider, regulated or unregulated, and you can operate without some kind of bespoke technology, albeit perhaps not as well, then you're a financial services provider. If, however, the technology is literally baked into your existence, you wouldn't and couldn't exist without the tech, then you're a fintech. So, explanation out of the way. I wanted to find out from Jasper what it's like to be the CMO of a fintech brand right now. Um, it's very interesting that you uh, make the addition of right now, because that's a, that's a difference between uh, if you would have asked me that question a few years ago versus uh, asked me the question today, I would say the, uh, I'm still very excited, by the way. So there's no difference in that. I think it's a fantastic sector to work in. Um, um, democratizing financial products for everyone, not just a happy few, is something that really gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, so I think that's something that Fentech can really celebrate it on. But there's no denying that this year COVID-19 has brought uh, quite a, a stormy waters when it comes to uh, financial companies and how they progress and how they manage uh, going through this uh, pandemic. Um, so exciting, but sometimes also nerve-wracking because you simply don't know 
what to expect. If people are losing trust in companies, in financial companies, that's the first thing that's that's really a big indicator if they want to join you, yes or no. And COVID hasn't really helped in creating trust uh, in the economy. So it's very difficult for a fintech marketeer at the moment to create also trust for the financial product you're trying to offer to customers. One thing that has it doesn't keep me up at night, but it's definitely on my radar. Maybe that's a more <laughs> diplomatic way of, me- of mentioning that. Um, we saw Wirecard this year. I, I don't want to have a Wirecard uh, in, in pensions or in wealth management in the UK. So I don't want a scandal. Uh, we've had one uh, We had one in the, in the, on the payment side with Wirecard. That's really damaging trust amongst users. Like, let's face it. Uh, we've also seen it last year with a big... Um, a wealth management platform in the UK where they really recommended uh, a, man- a fund manager and that fund manager, there was a scandal with it. I'm not calling any names, but I think a lot of listeners might might relate to that. That, that will also damage pension B because the sector as a whole, people will say, see, you can't trust them. And that's exactly what you're trying to avoid. So it's really key that we don't uh, end up having these things uh, um, in, in our sector. <laughs> So in other words, we've got a sector that's characterised by increasing demand, but where trust is a really big issue. The world of business is an infinite game. There are winners, there are losers. And if you can't create trust in your brand, you're going to lose. In the words of Simon Sinek, we can't choose the game. We can't change the rules. Those are dictated by consumers, by markets, by pandemics and by shifting tides. But what we can change is how we play the game. As human beings, we're literally hardwired to protect ourselves when times get tough. We avoid anger, we look for places where we feel safe. And the best place, the very best place to do that, is with the other people who we feel safe with, who we know will protect us. When the world's literally going to shit, we seek out a tribe of people just like us. So imagine how people feel in the face of a global pandemic and an economic crisis, working from home remotely, having lost many of their connections and moments professionally that lift us up. Then place this in the context of a fintech brand that's trying to carve out market share. Your existing and potential customers have all had their lives turned upside down. And so has your own team. So how can we create trust right now? It's time for me to introduce my second guest. My name is Zubair Mohammed. I'm currently the head of marketing at Market Finance. We are a business finance company that do invoice finance and business loans for SMEs. I think it's always been quite exciting to work in fintech, but I think even more so now with everything going on in the world, I think we're having to adapt and change more than ever. Um, and I think in, people go into working in fintechs and smaller businesses because they like that thrill of being able to chop and change really quickly and you know not setting out a 18 months plan and having to stick to it by the letter um so it's quite it's even more exciting now with things changing every day and having to chop and change and adapt to the moving landscape can you talk to me a little bit about trust at market finance what have you seen how are you building trust with your customers at the moment yeah it's really interesting we just conducted some research recently that brought that to the forefront where businesses were saying that the the biggest thing they look for when talking to a lender is trust. So, you know, how how do we go around building that trust is really important. 
And we've, we've done a, a decent job over the last few years of kind of really solidifying the fact that, you know, we're not loan sharks or we're not, you know, invoice factoring business who's going to come and like knock on your your supplier's door and take their TV away or anything like that. No, it's, it's really about building that narrative of, do you know what, we're, we genuinely care about your small business. It's a real, real tough, tough gig, right? Because there's so many other things happening in the alternative lending space from a consumer perspective that puts people off. People are still making choices very much like consumers. You know, people are still making decisions emotively about the way they, you know, take out funding or suppliers they work with or, you know, technology they use or whatever. It's actually about how do you build into that emotion of the person to really make them trust you um, and not think you're the next, you know, Wonga.com or a Amigo payday loan or cash converters when you're doing invoice finance. You know, you're, you're genuinely a facility that enables them to keep growing their business. So we've got COVID-19 and things have changed forever, arguably. We've seen a reshuffling of the cards competitor-wise, a renewed battle for market share between the traditional financial services providers and fintech brands. But how has that manifested itself specifically? Here's Lou Young, Head of Marketing at Woodstead Tradebridge. So I think the opportunity for change that this pandemic has given us is hugely exciting. And I'm saying that in terms of business, in terms of our daily lives and, and how we treat uh, everything around us. So for our company, we're all really excited about the opportunity we can see in e-commerce. The sector has obviously flown in the last six months. I think that's very clear why. But these businesses are under huge pressure and our, our products can really help alleviate that. The, the banks simply don't know what to do with e-commerce businesses. They don't fit in the right boxes. We've been bridging funding gaps in businesses like this for some years now. And our technology gives us insights on, on their business that allow us to make decisions on funding that, that would be impossible for a traditional lender. So e-commerce is definitely something that we're hugely excited about. Here's Jasper from Pension B again. We've seen a very, um, I would say, behavior that I haven't seen before in my career as a financial marketeer. When the lockdown started, customers also uh, st stopped signing up. So we went from quite a like really nice volume of customers signing up to Pension B. That, that really went down to a trickle. And actually, if you think about it, that made perfect sense because people were buying toilet rolls and pasta. They were focusing on short-term uh, uh, things in their lives. So they weren't really thinking about their retirement savings or pensions. But after a couple of weeks, that started to recover and people started to think about, okay, so what's next? Um, we, I sometimes joke, you know, toilet rolls were in plenty supply. So we're back to the longer term uh, financial planning. So that has actually done pension B really well. So uh, we've seen lots of downs and ups uh, in the last couple of months. And that's something that is clearly completely different from the normal seasonal peaks you, you see uh, in purchasing financial products. Normally, January until March, uh, September and October are usually your top months. Uh, well, clearly in March, that wasn't a, a top month for us at all. Uh, people were hardly signing up. So completely different behavior. It, you, you, take, you learn quite a lot of lessons from that. Um, you need, like one of the big takeaways for me has been, as a team, you have to be super agile in terms of how you operate. 
So to give you an example, we were in the middle of shooting our outdoor campaign with four of our customers in Liverpool and Manchester a week before we officially locked down. I remember Boris uh, saying that we shouldn't go to work anymore or shouldn't go to bars and restaurants. That was the week before the lockdown. We were actually in the middle of a shoot. So we, 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 we had planned all of that stuff ahead. Now, of course, the lockdown then happens. The outdoor campaign was planned for April. And that, of course, was canceled and postponed. And that's a big change. But you still have, you still have to acquire those customers. So as a team, what you have to do is then move it to other channels. So move where your customers are. Well, they are clearly not on the train, but they're clearly more in their homes, on their phones and on TV. So that's what we had to do. So we switched off outdoor, but we switched on TV and radio at the same time. That was an extreme example of agility in using your channels. I've not done that that way before. So that was new. Subir, what about you? What's your digital media strategy? And what have you changed during COVID-19? We've been doing some radio advertising recently that's been working quite well for us. Um, so we've seen increased um, signups and we've seen increased people visiting our website, etc. I think one of the keys from a fintech perspective is that to get that wider reach, you really have to establish partnerships and, uh, and then market through your partnership. So we're lucky in the sense that we have a partnership with Barclays Bank. Um, so we're the invoice finance provider for Barclays Bank, which enables us to reach, you know, I think they have that 1.2 million customers. So, you know, now we've got that whole new reach, but it's about how do we educate their channel network and those relationship managers about the alternative funding that's available for their clients, providing that education and marketing into a channel rather than a direct business-to-business world. You need to use your current customers to help tell your story. But also the wider context, one of the things that we started building out kind of last year and it kind of fell by the, by the sides was um, a thing called Small Business Wins. So we went and spoke to, I think, 10 or 10, 12 of our customers and shot a very, very short 30 second video with them and said, like, tell, tell us about the most amazing thing that's happened in your business. Don't talk about us, don't talk about finance, we don't want to hear anything about that. What we want to talk about is what's the most amazing thing that's happened in your business. And actually just appreciating the amazing things that businesses that we're able to help is really powerful because it shows people that all these businesses are doing amazing things. Okay, they might be using finance and finance, but we're not even talking about that. We're just talking about great things people can do. And the aspiration for that kind of care for businesses is really important to me. But how will it continue? If you know that the seasonality has been thrown up in the air, what might happen next? And how can marketeers monitor what's going on? How do you know when it's going to be time to change again? We simply don't know what's to come in the next 12 months. Will we get a vaccine and therefore life can get back to normal? Or will we get a second wave or a third one? We simply don't know. But what we do know is how your consumer behaves. Uh, you, you, know, you can track that. For example, for our outdoor campaign, we work with our partner, JC Deco and uh, Clear Channel, and they will provide us with GPS data in terms of how much footfall actually they have around the billboards we've bought. And therefore, if it's only 20%, then we will only pay 20%. And that kind of like secures you for lost impressions. So that's one way to deal with 
the uncertainty, simply not knowing if there is a lockdown or how many people will actually be on the streets if there are restrictions in place. The second thing is with regards to channels such as TV and radio, we are actually, in, we know how many customers are signing up for those channels and measuring that. And therefore, it's really important for us to uh, uh, keep measuring that properly um, and assess the impact. So if people are watching more TV, then we also know um, to spend more money on that channel. So I think it's just depending on the consumer behavior we're seeing coming through our data and shifting money to those channels where the customers really are. Because at the moment, Becky, you simply don't know what the seasons look like. You simply don't know what does the Christmas season look like? Are we going to celebrate Christmas with our families? Can you produce an ad where you project families together with Christmas? Or will it be a socially distant Christmas where we have to communicate through tablets and phones and Zoom calls? We simply don't know. So it's very difficult. We've talked a little bit about outdoor TV and radio, but what about digital advertising and social media? How has that shifted? That hasn't really changed a lot. So we were always uh, acquiring customers and engaging with potential customers and existing customers on social channels, such as Facebook and Instagram. Uh, at one point, Instagram was actually one of our biggest acquisition channels. So it's always been quite a big part of us. Now, one thing that is really good of social is that you are able to really um, find the customer at the right moment in time. Those channels seem to be really good. So that hasn't really changed. One of the things that those channels, in my opinion, are lacking is um, they're, they're okay in building trust. But the difference between having pension B on TV versus having pension B on the Facebook ad is once people have seen you on TV, they think you're legit and therefore they're more likely to sign up to you or to, to engage with you. And that's one of the things I found. We are, Our strategy initially was always a digital strategy. We were on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, uh, lots of, lots of the, the social channels and social campaigns. Once you actually go above the line, you instantly add a lot more trust to your brand. So I guess that's how I would see those two channels together. So what changes have you made to your marketing activity, your media channels in particular? I think there's a huge opportunity for us to do other things like more YouTube advertising or kind of using the narrative of TV advertising by taking it digital. Um, so using places like YouTube, using places like Skillshare, etc., to kind of drive our message over to people who are starting our businesses. So Skillshare is a, an education platform, if you like. So it's it's basically where people go to learn about anything and everything. Really. You can go and do a course on photography. You can do a course on digital marketing. You can do a course on how to plant a pot, uh, like plant some tomatoes. Uh, you, can, you can do anything you want. And people, like content creators, go on there and you know make whole series of videos and kind of step-by-steps and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's, it's really good because I think it's a step removed from the way YouTube is always throwing ads at your face and saying, hey, buy this, you should buy this, you need this, you need that. And every ad, every video that you watch is sponsored by Squarespace or something. What I want us to do is I want us to create our own series on there, right? So we have our own series of videos that's like, okay, how do I start a business or how do I get the funding around my business? Create, create real content that's real educational, real valuable, rather than just punting products through pay-per-click or SEO or whatever. So how have fintech brands adapted? 
How are they operating differently now from the way they did before? Here's Lou Young again. Fundamentally, the strategy hasn't changed, but uh, the situation that we're all in now has catalyzed plans and we've reshuffled focus areas. Um, So, for example, we've accelerated the launch of our new dental finance product. And because we became an accredited Sybils lender for the British Business Bank, we diverted marketing resource to support that effort too. It's about the foundations that the the business is built on. So we made a decision some, some years ago to support the business through marketing by using an agency. So we didn't build a team of internal marketeers. We employed a, a network of specialists that, that would do the work for us type thing. And those foundations the machine that we have built as a result of those initial decisions enables us to be both scalable and agile. It depends, of course, what kind of agencies you're looking for. The other thing that I found quite striking with some agencies sometimes is that they behave very corporate. They behave, they're very low, they're very heavy loading. Uh, apparently, like the a traditional agency probably will have lots of specialists and, and departments uh, under their belt and it will clearly show i really really enjoy lean agile agencies they are being kept small um and when needed they can get the to get the people in to really help you on the project and finally here's the inevitable brexit question you've all been waiting for when we finally come out of the eu what kind of impact will it have and will we roll with the punches like we have with covid yeah, at the minute we're we're not focusing a lot of attention on it. I think it's just we're trying to get businesses through this chaos um, that's going that we're going through right now. We are looking at the insights and we are looking at the way businesses are trading. So lots of our lots of our businesses that we work with work with overseas suppliers and overseas debtors, etc. So I think they're very nervous about what's going to happen come the end of the year. And we're kind of nervous for them a little bit because if all of a sudden they lose massive supply chains or they lose, you know, distribution networks, etc., then it's going to have a really big knock-on effect to the way they run their businesses um, and what they can do for their businesses. But on the flip side, there's also a hell of a lot of opportunity um, coming out of this. You know, we talk about British industry dying and we talk about the lack of manufacturing and we talk about the lack of stuff happening in the UK a lot. Um So maybe this is an opportunity for more people to, you know, open their manufacturing businesses, open their supply chains within our own borders. So I think think there's a lot of doom and gloom around it, but I'm kind of fingers crossed that we'll come out of it okay. And we just have to be a bit resourceful about the way we do things. We also have to be a bit clever about the way we use funding and the way we can support businesses through it as well. I think in truth, we haven't tried to predict things. Um, we've been largely reactive as events have unfolded. And I suspect that will uh, continue to be the case, even with Brexit on the horizon. Now, as a marketeer, of course, I would be much more comfortable with plans. Um, but I think from a business perspective, the, the management team see agility as an equally big advantage at the moment and and we're definitely set up for that
That's it for this episode. Thank you to Jasper Martin, Sabir Mohammed, and Liu Young for joining us. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Noble Marketing Ideacast. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show wherever you're listening now. A new episode will pop up in your feed every month. The Noble Marketing Ideacast is brought to you by BHP. To find out more about what we do and how we can help you, visit our website at bhmp.com. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Links are in the podcast description. Our producer is Chris Attaway. Until next time, I'm Becky Holland. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.